Hello, and welcome to the Justice and Coffee podcast, the podcast where we talk all things justice over coffee with a special guest. And this week, that special guest is Eleonora Panagos. Eleonora, or Ellie for short, is a licensed attorney in Colombia. She's also a human rights, anti-trafficking, gender equality advocate, and has spent time working to protect unaccompanied minors who have passed between the border of Mexico and the US. And today, as we speak to her, she is currently Miss Bogota, and in the running to become Miss Colombia in the country's biggest beauty pageant. What a fascinating dichotomy. I hear you say, a beauty queen advocating for gender equality. Can such a thing be possible? Well, we're going to unpack that paradigm and a number of other subjects in this episode. So you know what to do. Pour yourself a coffee, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Eleonora Panagos. Ellie, can I, first of all, can I call you Ellie? Yes, of course. I like when people call me by nicknames because it feels more comfortable for me. <laughs> Before we get on to the major topic of coffee, I wanted to I wanted to ask you to help me in describing yourself. I was wondering, do I introduce you as an advocate, as an abolitionist, as an attorney, or as a beauty queen, or all of the above? What do you think? I think so okay um I like when people just call me by my name I feel that those titles are just social stereotypes that we achieve and for me for example when I was living in the US the thing to be called as an attorney that was a big thing and I was like hey no I'm just Eleonora you know I'm, I'm just Ellie I studied this thing I decided to this other thing but I feel that when I want to talk to people, I want them to look at me as who I am. And I'm not an attorney. I'm not just a beauty queen. I'm everything. And I'm even more than that, you know? So I'm a human being. And that's how I like people to treat me. <laughs> I like that. I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it as Ellie for now then. Cool. <laughs> so let's let's start with coffee. Because we always start with coffee. Ellie, I know you are a Colombian lady. You've just shown me for the purpose of those listening, your coffee cup. <laughs> Colombia being one of the biggest distributors of coffee in the world, some of the very finest coffees come out of your home nation. So I'm glad to glad to see you're a coffee drinker, right? Yes. And I, by the way, I when I was little, I was never introduced to coffee, even when my parents were drinking a lot. But then I started to study at the university and I started to needing the coffee. And now I just can't handle a morning without my coffee with milk, which is an offense for Colombians, but I love it. <laughs> what? So it's normal in Colombia to drink coffee black? Correct. Yeah. Just the shot of coffee. And then we have in every street, in every traffic light, someone selling coffee, but it's just the black one. And I like with a little bit of milk. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so you mentioned when you were little, what, what was childhood like for you growing up in Colombia? Can you just describe that a little bit for us? Sure. So I was born in the 90s. That was a very, it was a difficult time in Colombia. Uh, the city was very unsafe. 
And when I was little, I was never used to go to parks, for example, like uh, where there's trees and on the streets. And when I arrived in the U.S., for me, that was very weird. The plan just to go into a park, I was like not familiar with that at all. It was very dangerous in Colombia. And then my parents just decided that that was not something that we were going to do. So I did grow up going to farms, which uh, are like family owned, probably you are familiar with that now that you grow coffee. And I was very close to the countryside, which was very nice because I was living in Bogota. I was born in Bogota. I'm a city girl, but at the same time, my dad, who is from Medellin, which is a very country uh, people, he was introducing us the countryside and I grew up with, co with cows, with dogs, with a lot of animals, but also with the people who is from the countryside, which um, made an imaginary for me in my mind that we have diversity of persons, diversity of mentalities, diversity of education. And I, I love that opportunity that I had when I was a, li a little girl. Mm. And then also my, my both my parents, they are doctors and they, they were uh, introducing us a lot, the um, fact of helping others. They would bring us to the hospitals um, with children with uh, cancer and we would go and stay with them and i just want to tell you something yesterday actually in the beauty pageant in the national one we are already in the national one we went to one of these hospitals and for me it was uh, kind of shocking the fact that some of the girls they were very traumatized with the fact that these children are going through this process but for me it was very natural i was growing up with those environments. So it's interesting how people develop their brains and their, their their view for the world, just depending on the experiences that each of us have and the opportunities that we we all have. So yeah, <laughs> that was my childhood. So what a childhood. So you had your both your parents were doctors. And they introduced you to uh, they introduced you to, to to experiencing other children who are slightly less fortunate with you very much less fortunate with you those of whom were, were suffering from cancer what would you say that that experience was one of those earliest experiences of injustice of course i would say that that experience um made me think that there's differences in the world that there is uh differences in terms of education and that i wanted to do something just to cut a little bit that gap when i was little i saw that there were different types of style of living i saw that opportunities were different for everyone i had the chance to understand that i was very lucky to have so many things in my life and many things that we get for granted like just having a home just having a family, just having uh, love inside where I was growing up. And then I realized that, and I remember when, of course, in Colombia, we are pretty much in the Catholic way of thinking and, and philosophy. And during Christmas, I was the one that I was uh, asking for baby Jesus, which is the one in Colombia who brings the gifts, to bringing clothing to the less fortunate ones or food. And I was never asking anything for me. And that was also very nice because my parents told us that we already had enough that we needed to share with others. And we shouldn't be asking for more, but just enjoying what we had and the extra to share with others. So yeah, those, those, those are nice memories. <laughs> Amazing. It sounds like you were very fortunate to have two very wise 
parents mm. in the way they they brought you up so I was introduced to you through a, a mutual friend Natalia who's a, a lawyer who's an attorney in the US and, and we'd worked together before and I went I then reached out to uh, a woman called Sonia, who's a trustee for us with our, our charity, Blue Bear Freedom in the Dominican Republic. She's also the head of legal for IJM's legal team in the Dominican Republic. Two amazing women, two amazing attorneys. And they both said, you've got to speak to Ellie. You've got it like you. They couldn't say enough great oh. things about you. And Natalia's first experience, she met you when you were a legal intern. Is that right? Correct. I was a legal intern in a firm, um, well, a nonprofit actually in the U.S. And I uh, worked with them that when I first entered, I was a volunteer there. I was um, I'm an attorney in Colombia. I was seeking my master's degree in communications and like other, other topics. But then I was always linking those communication and journalism topics with the legal background that I used to have. And I found this organization that was working with immigrants, fighting for them and just trying to give them a legal status. And for me, that was amazing. And since I always uh, volunteer with children or I always was working with topics that were related to children, I decided that that was the work that I wanted to do. My thesis actually for my master's was related with immigration and legal gaps in the U.S. and social media and many of these things. So I volunteered and I met that amazing woman who introduced me to Sonia, which was for me was also like meeting her was amazing. Uh, those two women are just fighting against all the type of injustice and human trafficking. And I, I was very inspired by them. And thankfully, I got the chance to meet you as well. And I'm here now. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, actually. Some of the most formidable, impressive, powerhouse people I know are women from Latin America. And it's funny, there is an association, rightly or wrongly, of uh, Latin American countries having uh, a machismo culture, a slightly what we would probably consider in the in the UK as an old fashioned view of women taking more quote unquote feminine roles in society, men having this more provider role. And that's not been my experience at all. And it's because of, of people, people like yourself and the, the two amazing women I mentioned earlier. So so you glossed over briefly um, your your legal background. So you studied as an attorney, is that right? Yes, I studied in Colombia, and I had and I had the chance to see my country not just from the vision that I had when I was growing up, like normally, but from the legal aspect, from the institutional aspect. I volunteered when I was working in an organization as well, nonprofit that was rescuing a women in situation of sexual work. It was very interesting for me because that was probably the first time that I had the approach to human trafficking in some way. That really inspired me just to continue working in those uh, topics. I realized, and what I was telling you since an early age, I realized how opportunities are distributed in the world and it's just different there for me was very evident. The fact that there's people who lack for many, many things and we need to try to approach to that type of population and giving them 
hopefully a different view of the world a hand an opportunity for them to decide with a broader aspect or options what they want to do so when i started working there i i this is funny because people that knows me will say oh my god how do you really cook but yeah i took two years of italian uh cuisine classes and i decided that i was start i i, I would start a program with this organization to give them classes of uh, cooking for them not only to have different alternatives of having revenue but also because i understood that they are also women and in my society at least what you were saying very machista and like full of stereotypes we tend and it's very easy for people just to say oh well if she is working in that is because she wants to do that or because she likes to do that and sometimes people just block what is behind and they don't ask why is this happening why is this woman in this situation or how can we help an alternative so there what was the first impression which i loved was to realizing that these women are also mothers that they also have their families that they also have their dreams that they want to achieve things for their children and that probably they want to do better for them so that first glance was very impressive for me and i decided that also the cooking idea would be great for them to give them i, I grew up in a family where food is love so i wanted i wanted to share that to them as well so if they would have the tools and the skills just to prepare a meal for their family they would give them somehow love and love for me is one of the most important things which is not for granted and that was revelation for me throughout my my years but uh, i think that love can make changes in life and it can be a positive change in the world starting from families you know so and then when i decided to move on to the us and do my masters i switched a little bit my career path because i worked in colombia as a family attorney and that's why i decided to do my masters in that but then i went back to law uh in immigration which was fascinating do me a favor and, and name check that that amazing organization that you were volunteering for with the cooking classes for, for sex workers in colombia the name is eh, fundacion vida nueva Fundación Vida Nueva, meaning uh, the New Life Foundation. That's amazing. Correct. Yeah, I love, I love hearing about stuff like that. Like that, yeah. brilliant, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And the organization you worked with in in the US with the immigration, uh, undocumented uh, migrant workers, particularly children. What what was that called? The name is Raíces. Raíces. Okay, so big question. I would imagine on lots of people's lips if they were in my position, would be why, with all of this experience with, with, your, with your life of witnessing and engaging with examples of injustice and inequality, with your education, with your passion to fight this injustice, why have you chosen to use the beauty pageantry platform as opposed to perhaps other alternative, potentially more conventional routes to pursue? Yeah, so uh, during my time in the immigration law in the United States, I uh, realized of something that I was not aware before, and is that uh, the lawyers, the attorneys, are not accessible for everyone. 
So, for example, in the United States, undocumented people, they don't have access to a public defender. And in my country, there's people who, even if they have access to one of those, they don't never think about a lawyer in those terms. It's really hard for them to trust in the institutions. They don't have that access because since they are in a different position, in a lower position, it's not familiar for them. It's not something that they grew up knowing or where they would trust, you know? So in those terms, the beauty pageant was something that came to my life six years ago, actually, before I was going to my master's in the U.S., they offered me to participate in this beauty pageant. I just want to let the audience know because probably they don't, they are not familiar with the situation in Colombia, but in my country, we have more than 3,000 beauty pageants. And the fact that we have so many is because people and the society grows up around these contests and girls from all ages, different social statuses and backgrounds, they dream of being a beauty queen. That was not my case because my family, it's not into those things. They are very nerdy. And for me to take this decision was a very, ch it, it was a challenge to be honest, not only because I encounter many things from myself, but also with my family and my social friends and where I work was something that probably is the same that you were saying they were it was unbelievable for them but then i realized that this beauty queen figure is someone that is very close to the people in my country in my society it was for me very revealing and at first it was shocking but when i was wearing my uh, beauty queen band i had more options to get closer to different uh, politicians to different institutions and I'll be honest with you Bryn I always dream of working with uh, organizations with the United Nations in terms of immigration or children and they won't ever reply to my my work applications my resume you know my my emails uh, but when I was telling them that I was Miss World Bogota, it was completely different. They would listen to me. They would want to talk to me. And people in general, you know, whenever I go somewhere and I'm wearing my band, they approach me. They want to take pictures with me. They listen to me. So I realized that this could be a very important and strong platform just to advocate for what I want to do, what I want to do in those terms, which is my passion and my mission, I, I think, is to eradicate and to fight against uh, children trafficking. So I decided that I would give it a shot and I would try it. And I decided to take this chat, this opportunity and, and be there. I've learned many things. Of course, I, 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 I can't forget the fact that I'm in this uh, social role, which also demands some things, and we can talk about that later. <laughs> but in the end, I decided, well, if people want to see someone that looks like this, but they will listen to what she has to say, I will, I will try it. I will at least give it a try. For me, everything that we can do in these terms is... It matters, you know, and I will do it. I will do it 
just to have people seated in front of me watching at me but hey i'm not just what you are seeing i also have a big content behind and i need you to listen what i want to tell you and i need to give a visualization to these problematics and we need to talk about this and we need to start doing something related to to avoiding human trafficking and children trafficking so that's why I decided to do this. And one other thing that I want to tell you is that, of course, I realized that the audiences that arrive and approach these type of contents. So right now we're talking about beauty contest as a empowerment of women. And that is one of the of the topics that we that we have in these in these uh, niche. And that's something that is real. Of course, it also needs to be worked a little bit more and that's also something that i'm trying to do from inside and probably there's also audience that approach this world because they still having this machista view and these uh women objectivization but regardless who they who each of the audience is just having them both there for me was important because for those who are looking for the beauty pageants as a platform for empowerment of women, I will just give it to them. I will keep fighting for that. I will keep educating in those terms. And for those who are approaching the beauty pageant with other intentions, I will also talk to them. Um, I want to tell you, Brin, that one of the things that I realized in these when I was working uh, in the US and with all my experiences is that many times we uh, encounter the situation and we focus on helping the victims and trying to prevent this. But for me and what I was always thinking was, well, if if every human life comes to this world by a woman you know like we women are the ones who give birth and we're still having these problems we're still having of course I'm, i i don't want to say that it's only men the one who uh sexually abuse women because we can see the situation in both genders but it's still the general the 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 most the most common that is men abusing women, you know, but of course these men, where are they learning this from? And from countries like mine, when I was in the US, all these Latin American children, because most of them came from the Central America, how they were thinking like that? Why were they thinking like that? So I decided that education was the answer. We need to educate not only women, not only children, not only girls, not only teenagers, but we need to educate also men. And that's a challenge for me, for example, because I'm a woman and it's easier for women to identify with who I am. But for men, sometimes it's, it's a little bit harder, but still I'm gonna try it, you know? And uh, we need to educate both men and women in, this, in these terms. Sometimes we women, we are machista and we just thought that to our, we, we teach that to our children and where we do we cut that, you know? So from this situation, from this perspective, I, I said, okay, well, if I'm bringing a girl just to observe me and to, I, I can become a role model for her. And if a man is watching this contest for whatever reason he's watching it, I also need to talk to him and start developing this conversation of why are you approaching this contest in this way or why are you looking at women in this way we need to 
teach that to women, to, to men as well. And I don't know if this makes sense, but, uh, or if I'm explaining it well, but for me, that was a huge why and I needed to try it. I needed to try it. I want to, to push you on this. I mean, you've given a fantastic yeah. answer, but I wouldn't be doing my job not to 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 know that I've at least go ahead <laughs> given you a bit of a squeeze on this. So for some people, I think they would, whether they're Colombian or whether perhaps they're from England or America, or, they might look upon a beauty contest and, and you mentioned the objectification of women, the fact that it, it's a selection of very beautiful women who have to perform certain skills and uh, dress up in 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 bikinis or or evening gowns or whatever it might be and they are judged by a panel of what has historically been mostly men and graded and scored that these this as an art form would be uh, not only representing a very literal way of objectifying women by providing you know giving them a, a calculated score but also it's 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 endorsing a, a misogynistic view of 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 women with all of their their skills and talents on show and whether by choosing this this platform it might actually be somewhat self-defeating in um in your attempt to to educate and challenge it's it's it, it might for some people be the wrong the wrong way the wrong way of doing that what by engaging with it what what would you say to those people that would would hold you to that? I will say them that um, I get that, to be honest. Though that was in my mind before taking the, the decision to participate in this. I was struggling with many of those views. I personally believe and I thought of many of those things. When I decided to take the, the decision to to participate in the content, I realized that sometimes even thinking like that, because I was thinking like that, was part of the problem. The first time, and this is an, an example, that I had to wear a bikini, it was in national television, Brain, and I decided to participate in it. I've been working, and this is something that many girls and women can relate with me but throughout our lives people is always telling us how we need to look and if we don't look in a certain way we need to feel bad with ourselves and we need to lose confidence because of that at this time when i had to do that i decided okay because it's not that i was they they demanded me to do that but they asked me and i was like okay i'm gonna do it i arrived i reached a um a place where I feel comfortable with my body and just realizing of that it was very amazing for me Rin, because I realized that feeling comfortable with who I am with my body with with how I look is not because society approves it or not but it's because I do feel comfortable with it so when I went to the national television wearing my bikini I I, for me, it was surprising that I was not feeling bad about it. You know, I was not feeling bad at all. But then when the show ended and the reason why I needed to be in bikini was because we were doing um, like with one of the one doctor here, she was doing some massage and things. So I needed to like show some skin, you know, 
Uh, but then when the show ended up in social media, people started to make a lot of comments and they were saying, oh, why the girl needed to be in bikini? That was not necessary. And at first, I was feeling bad because of that, you know, and I started to think about it. I was like, well, maybe what they are saying is true. But then I just stopped and said, okay, you didn't felt bad at the moment why do you need to feel bad because others tell you that you need to feel bad about it you know and then I realized that the problem is not that someone that a girl that a woman shows herself herself up in a bikini but it's how society is seeing the women that is wearing a bikini so at that point my only reaction was well I, I'm not feeling bad because of that it doesn't take me out professionalism, you know, because this is something else that I've encountered. Oh, you're an attorney, but now that you are showing up in bikini, you are not as good as you used to be before, you know, and that's like, that's the social mentality. And for me, that's, that's not an argument, you know, that's, that's completely erroneous. And I'm still being the same person. I'm still the same attorney. I'm still the same quality of person that I am. And not because I show up in bikini or no, I'm less now than what I used to be before. And to be honest, Brin, that happens with everything. If I cover too much, oh, she's whatever. Or if I show a little bit, she is whatever. So society always needs to be criticizing and telling how women needs to to look, to feel, to act, to do, to think, you know, and for me, that's just not acceptable. So the problem is not that I show up in a certain way. The problem is how people is objectivizing myself. And that's either men and women, because women are the ones who are also saying, why does she need to be in a bikini in national television? Well, why don't they ask me if I was feeling comfortable or no? Like, I'm, I'm not there for people just to see me as an object. I'm not there for women to see me, oh, I need to look like her. I'm really not there for that reason. I'm there just to, like, be myself and to show other persons that they can feel comfortable with whom they are, you know, because I struggled with this before. And I want to send that message to all the girls and all the teenagers that they don't need to fit a certain pattern, that I don't want them to look at me and say, oh, I want to look like her. I really don't want that. I don't pretend to do that. And influencers today are a huge part of children education. And I feel that's the message that they are sending the kids and, and the minors. And that's very erroneous. I want them to see at me and see, well, this is a, a strong woman. She has imperfections because I'm not a perfect woman. I, I'm not the one that society also says, oh, she needs to look like this, to like this. But to be honest, Brin, at this point, I don't care. I don't care to fit a certain parameter. I don't care to uh, be pleasing everyone. I just want to be there as a role model of empowerment, of confidence of self-love and to give something to society and messages you know important messages do you see the beauty pageantry world changing in the the post me too era that we're in now yeah definitely and i feel now it's just very different even if it still has a big uh, amount of audiences worldwide it is decreasing as well because many of these perspectives 
but I think it is gonna stay, at least in countries like mine, it is something that is important I, as I was uh, explaining to you before. And if it's gonna stay, we need to make the changes that it needs to, to have, you know, it's like any other type of institutions. And if we are gonna talk about government institutions, there's many, many, many deficiencies as well in terms of equality, in terms of gender violence, in terms of race violence, you know, but the solution is not just eradicating all of them. The solution for me is just trying to change them from the inside and to be more aware of the reality of the world that we are in right now. And it's from the inside that we at least can try to make them be more like aware of the way that human beings are thinking right now and that we are trying to. So I, I wonder, Ellie, if you've said that one of the reasons you've chosen to engage in the beauty pageantry world is to amplify your message of fighting the exploitation and trafficking of children by using the profile of a, of a beauty queen. But also you'd like to challenge the model, this, this, this cultural practice of the beauty pageant world from within. You're going to have more effect on it from engaging with it rather than being a passive critic of the beauty pageant world. I just wonder where you draw the line. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I do think there's a line. Uh, I do think, and for me, it's actually clear the line. I've never encountered this type of situation. I've heard of this type of situation in the model industry, for example, at least not in my in in the beauty pageant or and not in the one that I am in, uh, where, for example, some girls or even some boys, if they want to get a job or if they want to get a role, they will have to do things that probably go against what they want. For me, that's the for me. There's there's clear lines and limits. You know, I wouldn't uh, cross the, the that limit or that line. I wouldn't uh, accept to have sex, for example, with someone just to uh, achieve uh, one of those roles or like the crown. You know, and I think that's actually a message that also needs to be uh spread from the inside as well like to teach my other um beauty pageant uh contests about that some of them there are actually models or artists and it's just it's just also building that up you know it, that there's limits there's lines and there's lines that you don't cross and you don't cross it from the from being the one that is participating but not even the ones who are in in top, you know, in charge, where the, the ones who have the power. Uh, you don't ask a woman or a man to have sex with you if they want to have the position that you are offering them, you know? And I think, yeah, I agree there's lines, but I also agree that we need to talk about those lines and we need to face those realities. We need to re be aware of those realities in terms to fighting against those those situations because personally i i've never encountered the situation but i've heard of those situations and i think it's something that we need to talk and to to draw the line that needs to be clear i would love to bring this to a close but i want to just see where you are with with things at the moment my understanding is you won the title of miss bogota so congratulations for that the next competition is Miss Columbia. Did you say at the start that that, that had just begun? Yeah, it, it, last week we, we began the competition in the national one. Amazing. How long does that last for? It's just two weeks. Ah, so you're, you're in yeah. it now. You're in the process. Yeah, we're in it now. Yeah. 
Well, we wish you all the very best with that. We really do. And I just want to ask a final question, which I ask to every guest that comes on the Justice and Coffee podcast, which is a perfect question for a beauty pageant contestant, (laughs) I think, which is what is your hope for the future? My hope for the future is to eradicate children trafficking in the world. I think this is not an an action that you do overcome from one night or to the next day. But I think this is something that we all as a human beings need to fight for. We need to fight that situation with um, education. We need to realize that everything that we do in life matters, that we are not each of us is not like the center of the universe, but we do have control of many things. And every single step that we do, we need to be very aware and very responsible of that because we don't know how what we do can affect others or even what children are seeing in us and are learning from us. So I do, my hope is that there's one day where there's no trafficking in general, but that no children suffer from this situation. Uh, and I do believe that we can achieve that maybe in the long term. It's going to be many, many, many generations probably. But we need to try to give the education for every single person that crosses our path uh, just to give them the message so that we collectively can can arrive to a place where we can make the change and we can stop that situation. Like for me, there's no excuses for that. It's unacceptable. It's just, it's no, you know, no. No, indeed. Ellie, thank you so much for spending time talking to us, sharing your life and your story and your hopes with us. A particular big thank you for for doing it whilst you're, you must be so busy in the middle of this competition. We wish you all the very best so do let us know how you get on and we'll and we'll i'll add links at the end of this if anyone wants to follow you or 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 get in touch is that okay perfect yeah that's okay and thank you so much rin for inviting me to talk to you and to your audience in this amazing podcast i must admit that this be since i had the chance for me this was a dream so for me this is what really matter and the reason why i'm doing this uh, thank you so much for everyone to listen to me. I am really open for any comments, any criticism. I think that's the only way that we can arrive and achieve like middle paths and we can learn in the end. I don't know all the answers. Maybe other people, they don't know. Probably I'm just missing some points of view and I would love to hear from those different like thinking uh, positions and just to collectively argue and discuss on these situations which are very important to collectively grow uh, a general knowledge. So thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for all your audience. I hope to see you soon in Colombia, not just you, but also all the Bluebird uh, audience to come and enjoy a black coffee. For those who want a little bit of milk, I promise I can give you some, but if not, the black coffee and yeah, I hope to see you here. <laughs> nice one. Well, thanks so much and, and look after yourself, okay? Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. So there you go. What an interesting guest. I think there will be a range of opinions on this one. 
Some will be convinced by Ellie's position and lend themselves fully in support of her method of raising awareness. Others may remain a little more skeptical. What I admire most about Ellie is her confidence. She knows exactly what her critics will say, but she has chosen this path intentionally. She is empathetic, but not apologetic about people's concerns regarding her decision to enter the world of beauty pageantry. And I really like that. Coming from a country that doesn't engage with the world of beauty pageantry today, as it once did, and certainly not to the level seen in many Latin American countries, I find it hard to see how this particular art form does anything other than to judge and score women according to their looks. The question for me is, does the benefit of this amplified platform that Ellie is enjoying as a beauty queen outweigh the possible affirmation of what is arguably an unhealthy means of objectifying women? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Ellie is clearly an extremely intelligent person with a plan and a purpose and I would love to see her crowned Miss Columbia and watch as she spends her reign educating people to the very real issues of social injustice that exist in Colombia, such as those she mentioned in our conversation. We wish her all the very best. Go, Ellie. I've also put a link to the two charities Ellie mentioned in our conversation, Fundación Vida Nueva, and RICES. RICES is a difficult word, isn't it? It stands for the Refugee and Immigration Center for Education and Legal Services. This is an NGO in Texas. So there you go. What do you think? I really want to know. You can message us at Blue Bear Coffee Co.'s Instagram account if you search at Blue Bear Coffee Co. Or tweet me at Bryn Frere. That's B-R-Y-N-F-R-E-R-E. I very rarely use Twitter, but I promise if you tweet me, I will respond. You can follow Ellie's progress on Instagram by searching the handle at Eleonora Panagos. This podcast was produced by Bluebeck Coffee Co. Our project is to fund aftercare programs for children leaving situations of exploitation and to raise awareness in at-risk communities. And one of the ways we are funded is through the sale of ethically sourced specialty coffee so please do check us out at bluebearcoffee.com and help fund freedom through coffee have a great week thanks for listening until next time peace